As we turn to our second reading and our message this morning, I want to pause for a moment and ask you to think of all of the different names or titles that are associated with you personally. All of the different names or titles that are associated with you. Maybe there's multiple ways to say your name. I'm Dave. I'm David. If I'm in trouble, I'm David Kiff Rohde. <laughs> there's titles. Mom, Dad, Grandpa, Grandma, Mr., Mrs., Auntie, Uncle, Son, Daughter, Teacher, Coach, Student. How, how many names or titles can you think of that are, are used for you? Can, can you? How many of you think there's more than five for you personally? More than, more than 10. 20. That's, that's quite a bit. Names are important. They, they define us. They define our relationships with one another. They say just as much about us individually as they do as the other person that we are, are naming. One of the, the privileges that I enjoy most with being a pastor is what takes place during a baptism. Many of you have been here for them, right? I, I stand up here and, and there's something about, if it's a child, holding that child and saying their, their name, their given name, first, middle, last, and then following it with another name, child of God. And then with the baptism itself, using another set of names that, that is important for all of us here. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Names are incredibly important. And it's one of the reasons that we've been journeying through the names that are used in Isaiah during Advent. The language that we use to talk about God is incredibly important. And the names that we attribute to Jesus during Advent and during the, the, the Christmas season speak volumes about what we believe, about who we believe Jesus to be. So we've been working through this passage out of Isaiah, uh, one that's often con connected to the, the Christmas season. And we started with the Wonderful Counselor. And as we talk through the wonderful counselor, I encourage us to think through, well, this counselor, this wonderful counselor didn't quite look the way that people expected the wonderful counselor to look. And then last week, Pastor Daryl led us through the image of Jesus being mighty God. Remember that Rembrandt painting of Jesus calming the storm. Well, the disciples are all panicking over the side of the boat and Rembrandt actually paints himself into the painting praying. That Jesus is mighty God. But today's name, the name that we're looking at today is a little more obscure when it comes to thinking about Jesus. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Typically when we think of God, we think of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. And for good reason, Jesus prayed to his father and, and taught the disciples to pray to the father. The, the Hebrew text that, that Jesus knew, that the Old Testament, it, it was full of imagery uh, uh, that connected to, to the father figure. 
So before we step into the messiness of the Trinity a bit, which is we, we will do a little bit today, it's important we remember that both ancient Israel and the world that Jesus was born into were patriarchal societies. So, so it was mostly dad's job to protect and to provide. So by including this name in his list, Isaiah is moving from kind of this this big picture, the macro, if you will, the coronated king, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, this big God into the personal and into the, the personal, what life is like at home. So it goes from the kingdom to our homes. So in Israel's mind, God, the father was the one who, who molded and shaped them like a potter, like, like we read in Isaiah. Or like the one who, who looks out for the lonely, who goes to bat for the disenfranchised. And in a lot of ways, the ways that ancient Israel looked at God the Father is how we tend to look at, at God today. And so here in this title, we're reminded of Jesus' last words to Matthew, or last words to the disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. This idea of everlasting father, Jesus, at the very end, Matthew 28, 20 says, Jesus is with us always. I will be with you always till the end of the age. We see a reminder of that reality in, in one of my, my favorite passages out of the, the gospel of John. It's a, a comforting text that I often turn to during memorial service. It, it's towards the end of Jesus's earthly ministry with the disciples. And he has this really intimate conversation with them that they're gathered together he had just washed their feet and then they they kind of go back and forth where the disciples ask some questions and jesus gives some answers which really lead to to more questions and they go back and forth peter pipes up in the middle of it and he says that that he would give his life to follow jesus wherever jesus would go and that's the time where jesus says, ah actually soon enough you're going to deny knowing me and then in the middle of those conversations, Thomas asks, Lord, we, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus goes on to say things like, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. If you believe in me, you believe in my Father. And if you ask for something in my name, the Father will be glorified. There's this back and forth confusingness about Jesus and the Father. In a lot of ways, the connection between Jesus and the Father had to be just as confusing for the disciples as it is for us now. Jesus continues, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Anybody confused by that? It's just a lot going back and forth there. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the, the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the more powerful ministries that that Haley, my wife and I were involved with in Malawi when we were there was a boarding school called the Malangundi School for the Blind. And uh, some of the stories I've heard here about our church's involvement in the past with the girls' school in Kenya sound very similar to what we experienced with the Malangundi School for the Blind. There is a significant vitamin D deficiency in Malawi, which causes problems for for babies while they're in utero, often leading to blindness or being born as an albino. Now, some kids would end up in Malangundi because their families would say, we we don't have the resources. We don't don't have the resources to care for you. And so we're going to give you to somebody who does. Other people... Other villages, I should say, would completely shun children who were born blind or who were born albino. In Malangundi, they would would go and find these children from villages that were completely outcast and and bring them in. Whenever I I read a passage like this, or I I picture kind of the, the... The image that is created in in the words from the psalm we read earlier, I can't help but see Malangundi's school for the blind and and see the the caretakers and the teachers and, and what they did in this place to remind these children that they are loved and that they have value. Now, connecting the image of a perfect parent with God is is a powerful one. But it can be confusing and it can be difficult, especially when you think of stories like Malangundi. But it's true in less drastic circumstances as well, because believe it or not, none of us had perfect parents. Raise your hand if you had a perfect parent. Raise your hand if your perfect parent's sitting right next to you. Well done. Well done. So as Jesus starts using this this language about parenting and connecting that, it it makes sense for the disciples to have some questions. What what does that parent look like? And here in in the conversation, there's really three questions. The, The first one is from Thomas, and he says, Jesus, where are you going? Where are you going? Jesus had just finished talking about the Father's house, this big, big house with lots and lots of rooms and room for everyone. So naturally, Thomas says, well, awesome. I want to go. Where is this house? Where is it? And Jesus responds with that that well-known passage, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Philip says, well, that sounds great too. That sounds great too. Show us the way. You're talking about this house. Great. Show us the way. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates Jesus' response here in John 14.9. You've been with me all this time, Philip. You've been with me all this time and you you still don't understand? To see me is to see the Father. 
Believe me, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. Oh, the beautiful mess of the Trinity is on full display in this conversation. Jesus goes on to say those who are following the way will do the same work that Jesus did. That if they or, or we ask, and it's in line with the Father's will, that it will be done. And then Jesus says, look, if you, if you follow me, you won't be left alone. You won't be orphaned. You'll have a purpose. You'll know you are loved. And then another one of the disciples, Judas, not that Judas, actually one of the commentaries that I read said, this is the good Judas. So, so this is, this is the, the, good, the good Judas says, well, well, that seems nice, I guess, but, but why us? Why us and what about everyone else? There's a whole lot going on in this conversation. A whole lot. One of the reasons that I, I appreciate the, this conversation between Jesus and the disciples is it feels like we'd have a similar sort of conversation today, trying to figure out what it looks like to put our beliefs into action, trying to figure out how we relate with the rest of the world. Now, it's, it's really difficult to, to summarize this incredibly important conversation in, in just a 20-minute sermon. So I'd actually invite you sometime this week, encourage you to sit down and read through John 13 through 16, the whole conversation. It really will only take you seven or eight minutes. And just read through it and imagine what it would have been like to see that conversation, to be a part of that conversation. Jesus responds to the why us and, and what about the rest of the world with anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. There's more and more we language, a mashup of the, the triune God and, and what the triune God looks like kind of all put together. And these three questions as well as in Jesus' response to them, we're, we're given a glimpse of Jesus' relationship to the Father and to the Spirit. Now, if you read the WPC devotional this morning, I, I mentioned that defining the Trinity is, is difficult to do. It's one of those things that whenever I'm asked as a pastor, I just kind of say, well, here's my best guess. I'm God and or I'm God, Ooh, definitely not. I'm not God and I'm glad that God is God because God has those answers, but I don't always have them. Sometimes we want to fit God into this nice, clean box. Three specific entities, three specific people, Father, Son, and Spirit with specific roles. But I think this text in Isaiah shows us that sometimes those those roles aren't as distinct or as specific as we like to make them. So in the, the time we have left, I want to look at three promises that are, that are tied to at least one of what I believe is a, a shared role, this, this shared role of, of everlasting father. First, the everlasting Father is connected to a role we typically reserve for the Holy Spirit, the, the advocate. 
Jesus promises the disciples that, that he won't leave them alone. That, that he'll be with them. That he'll speak for them. That somebody will speak for them. And the word that he uses in, in the phrase here in John 14 is, is literally translated to, I'll leave you one called alongside to help you. I'll leave you one called alongside to help. Martin Luther pointed out that the role of the advocate was to encourage belief in Jesus and to give us strength to love others. So the the role of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus and to give us the strength to live in community with one another. That's what the advocate does. The Spirit pointing to Jesus reflects this three-in-oneness that we talk about with, with the Trinity. But this advocate or helper role is also reflected in how Scripture refers to the Father. Think of Jesus' story with the prodigal son. The Father is called alongside to help both of his sons, both, both the son who's disillusioned and, and jealous, the one who stays home, as well as the son who returned after blowing his inheritance and, and damaging and slandering the family name. So, so Jesus is, is always with us to the end of the age as the end of, as he promises in the end of Matthew, as the everlasting father would be through the ministry of the advocate, the, the Holy Spirit. Then we get a, a, a clearer illustration of how Jesus takes on the role of, of father. In John fourteen eighteen, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. As this conversation was happening, Jesus is anticipating what's coming next, which is his his crucifixion. So think of what the disciples would have been thinking during the crucifixion. He's gone. He's left us. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is a reminder, a reminder for them. He wasn't leaving them. He doesn't leave us in a lurch. In fact, he he was going to represent them, to defeat death, to conquer sin on their behalf and on behalf of the entire world so that he could come back, as he said, so he could return as the resurrected God, as the everlasting Father, doing whatever it takes for the children that he loves. The last promise comes from a, a section of this conversation that we, we, we didn't read, but again, I want you to go home and read it. it it's what follows the, the good Judas's question about the rest of the world. Well, what about everybody else? What about everybody else? In the midst of saying, I am going to the Father, and if you loved me, you, you'd be thrilled that I'm returning to the Father. Jesus says that the work he came to initiate wasn't done that the work wasn't finished, which is why the Spirit or the Advocate would come. So as the good Judas is concerned with the rest of the world, as he asks, how is the rest of the world going to know you, Jesus? Jesus responds with, through you. That is how they are going to know me. Through you. Jesus says, they'll know me because the advocate lives in and among my loyal followers. 
So while we might not think of, of Jesus in this everlasting father role, and it's honestly, it's a, it's a hard one for me to, to kind of put my mind around, grasp. Because he is, in fact, Jesus is, in fact, the son. It's not a stretch at all to see how Jesus took on the role of parent for his disciples. And how, in a way, he continues in that role for us today as we follow him. So as we continue through this Advent season, may we remember that the wonderful counselor and the mighty God, this big, grandiose creator of the universe, serves also as the everlasting father, that that God loves us. Let's pray. Holy and triune God, we do thank you for loving us as the perfect parent, for caring for us, for continuously reminding us that, that we are indeed your children. Lord, may we cling to these promises. We pray these things in your name. Amen.